This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Technology in schools. Are we ready to transform education, or will we continue to use learning management systems and video conferencing to replicate traditional school routines? We discuss this and more in today's show with me, Jaya Hiranandani, and I'm joined by Neelam Parmar and Pana Aswapthana. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Hope you're having a decent day and have spent some time this weekend in some self-care, in connecting with people you care about, and hopefully even enjoying some nature. How's the weather where you are? Um, Here in Taipei, where I am, it's been raining almost relentlessly this past week, which was not so great because we were on the Lunar New Year holiday this whole week. Um, It's really crowded outside. So, well, in a way it was okay because a lot of us just enjoy the holiday, relax at home. Um, We did have short bouts of relief from the rain, but not much sunshine except today. It's turned out to be a glorious day with sunshine streaming through my windows. So it's been great. Um, Thank you so much for giving me the gift of time, me and this show. Really, really appreciate you. And I hope that from this show, you will walk away with some nuggets of wisdom, or some practical tips that you can use in your classroom, whether you're listening live right now, or um, maybe when you've downloaded it and you're listening later. Um, If you have something to add or any questions that you would like our experts to address today about technology in education, I will be reading your comments carefully. So keep them coming here on Podbean, or you can find me on Twitter, Miss Hira Nandani. That's Miss Dot Hiranandani, H I R A N A N D A N I. So, if you're familiar with Teachers Talk Radio, we telecast live shows about pedagogy, and there are some amazing hosts out there. I'm kind of new here, so as I listen to my fellow hosts, I can definitely recommend a few. Um, Sobia Iqbal got great passion about current issues in pedagogy, not to be missed. Um, Tom Rogers, engaging conversations about all different topics, including controversial ones, like the one about marking that he recently um, recorded. And um, it was, yeah, it's really a buzz right now on Twitter, marking. So uh, if you feel one way or the other passionately about marking, uh, just do listen to that show. As for me, I am from India and have lived in East Asia for the past two decades. I work in an international school and I live in the capital city of a little island called Taiwan. Um, This show covers topic related to pedagogy, but with the lens of international education. 
Um, in fact, my first episode was literally about international education. However, I do believe that educators around the world face a lot of issues that are common to all of us. Just for example, the one about marking, I definitely had some strong ideas of my own as I was listening to Tom's show. And the, the for example, what we are covering today, technology and education, um, it's also something that we all are facing, especially after this pandemic. Um, we did use Look, depending on the data set you looked at, uh, 65% to 95% schools in the Western world were using technology in some form or the other every single day in their classrooms, even before the pandemic started. But, um, but when, when it did start, I think we all scrambled to, um, to make online learning work and teachers were under a lot of pressure but and now as we are starting to get you know we we do have a hang of it we are going teachers around the world are going back and forth between uh hybrid learning face-to-face -face learning online learning we are you know we have to be ready for things to change anytime wherever we are almost all of us are in the same boat but the questions are how is this going to change education? Is this going to change education forever? Are we going to get some great insights? Um, there's, there's so many things that, that come with technology and education. And um, the question now is not whether technology is good, but it's, you know, you know we, we are going to use it and what are the best practices in using technology? So that's going to be our discussion today. We're going to, to, we're going to talk to two IT experts um, and they're both educators. And we're going to talk to them about using technology authentically in the classroom. We're going to unravel what authentic learning is. We're going to look at um, what authentic use of technology looks like in early years, in primary or secondary classrooms. The great thing is it's safe for Internet Day this Tuesday, February 8th. So we'll also touch a little bit upon helping our students stay safe when they are online. So just like I mentioned, we are going to what we're going to cover in this show is using tech authentically in the classroom. What are the challenges, some time tested and new apps and programs that work, some best practices when using tech during online face to face and hybrid learning. And finally, the future of tech use in school education. So let's delve into it. I have Jess from Taipei listening. Hi, Jess. Um, that's great. Please uh, write a message if you're here and um, I'll keep an eye on the messages as they come along. And I will introduce to you to my first guest, um, Pana Asbavatana. She is currently the pre-K to grade one technology and design coach at Taipei American School. Before she moved to Taipei in 2013, Pana's teaching career took her to many places in her role as an early childhood educator, including New York, Bangkok, Hong Kong, and Singapore. Pana has presented as a keynote speaker in several conferences, and um, when she's not doing amazing things related to EdTech ed and early education. Pana can be found cooking amazing Thai food in her kitchen 
or playing with her daughter in her living room. Hi, Pana. Hello. It's good to be here today. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much for coming and for being a part of this show. So how have you been? How was this uh, week of new, um, new, new, new Year holiday for you? Um, I thought it was going to be filled with rest and it was unexpectedly busy, but mostly fun things. Um, just meeting up with friends, um, you know, hiking, hot springs, lion dances naturally. And we went yeah. strawberry picking as well. So yeah, it was, it was good fun. Fantastic. Sounds good. Sounds like, uh, you know, you make good use of whatever we have around in Taipei. Uh, I, I did manage to do some hiking as well. Um, so did you have to work during the holidays? Were you expecting online learning? I know at my school, we were kind of prepared because cases, Omicron cases were rising here in Taipei. Uh, how was it like at your school? Um, our school is very much, at least in the lower school, we are very much into being prepared. And now that, you know, we've been in this pandemic for a few years now, um, monitoring the cases, we got prepared before the Lunar New Year break. So for sure, we've had what we call distance learning uh, 1.0, 2.0, and now we're on plan 3.0. And so we did a lot of um, revisiting of tools that we had used in the past and reintroducing how they might be used differently this time around, should we need to close. There was a lot of um, PD and trainings and meetings going on leading up to the Lunar New Year so that everyone knew exactly what to expect should day one be distance. So yeah, we did a lot of prep leading up to it. So our holidays could be holidays. Yeah, yeah, it was similar in my school, but luckily, I'm not sure about yours, but we've been told that we are going back to face-to-face, -to -face, at least for now. Yes, yeah, same. Yes. So we are yeah. very, very excited. Yeah, I'm, me too, especially when we have younger kids. It's always nice to be face-to-face. -face. Um, yeah, even though I do feel prepared to do online. Um, so... How was online learning uh, in one, I, I love the nomenclature you have at your school. So uh, <laughs> 1.0 and 2.0, how did it go for um, you? The, the general trend for us was, as you know very well, we here in Asia, mm -hmm. um, especially in this part of Asia, we, we dove in head first before most of the world. Yeah. So at that stage, I think everybody just grappling for anything that we could use comfortably just to get learning to children who were stuck at home. Um, and for us, that meant mostly asynchronous work through Seesaw and um, the use of the activities feature on Seesaw for the, our primary school um, to send out, you know, activities, assignments, uh, things that we could get them to do at home somewhat independently or with a, uh, an adult, a parent, a caregiver, or maybe even an older sibling. But as we had yeah. gone in and out of um, this online, in-person kind of cycle, we started to build in a lot more live components. And especially for the early years, I think that we needed to build this in because at the heart of early years learning is relationships and not having any sort of 
live structure was really severing the the homeschool relationship and the the child teacher relationship and even like the ability for students to see their classmates and um, build any sort of connection with them. So I think for us as a school, we moved very much from asynchronous and now we have more live components than we do asynchronous components in our current plan. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with younger kids, you know, that that connection is so, so, so important. And so you would do um, whole whole class kind of uh, synchronous learning or would you break them in groups or a combination of both? How did it look like? Um, That's a really good question. I think that what we've tried to do is create a schedule for our teachers that had some flexibility. So I think so the teachers know their kids. Um, and they know what they can handle according to age group, developmental stage. Um, they can differentiate. So we gave them a block of time to say, okay, like this is when you might teach reading, but you can break it up into small groups should you need to, or should you feel that your your group of kids might need that. Um, the TAs are in there and we're trying to do most of this live. So we expect that the teaching assistants be there as well to help with the management, but also so that, for example, the homeroom teacher could pull a small group or an individual child into a breakout room and do some conferring and then come back and have the TA um, still be talking to and engaging with the rest of the kids in either independent learning or playing a game, um, something Mm. like that. And we've also created uh, pods for the teachers so that specialist teachers are required to be in with a homeroom pod. So basically it's two homeroom classes with their TAs plus um, specialists, eight, mm. at least one specialist in that pod. So the specialist needs to be there. They don't need to teach the curriculum per se, but being there yeah. means that they get to see the structure, see the homeroom teacher teach because we're also preparing for the case that the teacher gets sick or their a family member needs to be hospitalized. And at that point, we don't expect them to teach anymore. So that means anyone in that pod can take over. So yeah, that's and even for the kid, it sounds like they really had the sense of community with all, you know, the teachers that they had seen previously in the school year. They're they're around, even if they can just see their faces or that sounds fantastic. And the other thing I like about this is as a classroom teacher, I'm all for give me structure, give me options, but then let me decide things depending on, you know, how I see my kids, how my current class is. So this sounds great where the class teacher had all the support, but then she could also or he could also, you know, decide how they wanted to run it, whether in small groups. And that that sounds amazing. Yeah, I mean, we haven't actually put this plan into motion yet because this is a plan for should we close in the future. It's the 3.0 plan. (laughs) Yes. So we're not quite sure how it might go. Clearly, every time we do this, there are reflections and kinks and things we try to overcome. And I think we would just continue to go through that cycle of, you know, reflection, feedback and uh, adaptation. Yeah. And you're just hitting the nail on the wall right here with... um, with what this pandemic is you know we are all trying things and seeing what works and then improving on them so yeah we're kind of redefining teaching in some ways and so i'll take this moment to now introduce our um our second guest and that's dr neelam parmar uh, Neelam is the Director of Digi- Digital Education at Harrow International Schools um, in Asia. 
before her role uh, here in Hong Kong, she's based in Hong Kong at the moment, but before that, she was the Director of Educational Technology, Digital Learning and, and Innovation at Ashford School in Kent. Uh, she was an educational technologist with the United Learning Group, and she was also the Director of Digital Education at London Gardiner School. And these were not simultaneously, but yeah, these, these are all the different roles that she has held. Uh, she did her PhD research on using educational technology in primary years in developing um, learning, literacy learning within the curriculum from um, Burnmouth University in England. I, I hope I'm saying it right. And, and the radio show, uh, Teachers Talk Radio, is from the same place. So that's really interesting, Neelam. I don't know if you knew that. Hi, Neelam, are you here? Hi, Jay. Yes, I am. Okay, so I'm not done quite yet. <laughs> so let me finish off. <laughs> so Neelam has also been a keynote speaker, like Pana, our other guest, at several conferences. And she's the author of a series of books called Digital Literacy in the Primary Classroom and also a book on digital parenting. What's that book called, Neelam? Well, thank you. Well, firstly, thank you, Jay. Thank you for having me on today. Um, my, the book itself is called Digital Parenting. Um, it was really written at a time when so many schools were bringing tablets into the environments and there was fear, panic and anxiety spiraling right. in the community. And it was really at that point where technology was more the evil than the, the shining light, the beacon in the forefront. <laughs> so how did we work? Uh, and how do we encourage to get the parents on board um, more about their sanity than anything else, closing the gap between the children yeah. and the parents and getting them to understand where the children come from. So it's it's not a massive book. It's a coffee-like table book. It's actually very small. It's only about, I think, 80 pages. Um, but it's, you know, there's enough information there for parents to to read maybe a few pages a day or a chapter a day and then perhaps get a shock of what's really happening in the internet, go back, think about our research, and then start the next chapter. So it was there as an informative guide. Yeah, I think I think uh, maybe when this pandemic is over, you could bring a second edition because so much has changed, and but so much has stayed the same. Um, I know we were not planning to plug in your book or anything, but I'm just curious, does it have, uh, uh, is it there on Kindle or is, does it have an audio book, you know? Um, so it's there on Amazon, and it's funny okay. you say book two. Uh, there was great hope when I was United Learning to to come up with a second edition called Digital Wellbeing, and uh, there were great plans and a lot of research taking place to put this together uh, with another co-author. Unfortunately, it never materialized because of of many things that came. Life got in the way, and then COVID happened. Uh, but yeah. you know, uh, it's it's coming. The, the second book will come. The series will start. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. We'll have you again here then. <laughs> right. Um, so how is, uh, I'm, I'm assuming in Hong Kong, you had a Lunar New Year break as well this week. Um, I know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I'm so new here. I've only been here six, seven months. So this right. is our first ever Chinese New Year break. Um, mm -hmm. But we are in the thick of uh, what you want to call, what I would call a semi-lockdown here in Hong Kong. So not so, not as exciting as it has been for Pana with the, the, the lion dance and the lanterns. It's probably been a little bit more subdued, but nice rest. Nice. Nice. 
Um, how's the weather been there? I don't know. I, I'm kind of fixated on the weather. I always ask about that. <laughs> it's, it's actually quite cool for Hong Kong standards, I have to say. Coming from a place where you have central heating, when you when it gets cold yeah. and you don't have that, it's a bit of a shock to the system. Um, yeah, but I it's, know, not, I mean, it's not as bad. <laughs> yeah, Pana will agree with me. Taipei is pretty much the same. I feel like houses are colder inside than, they, mm-hmm. than, than it is outside. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. And also, I used to live in Hong Kong, so I would say the weather is comparable. And with no indoor heating, it's very similar. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Neelam, um, so you, you, like you said, you're new in Hong Kong. It's just been like six, seven months. And, but before that, you were in UK for quite a number of years. So I'm just curious, how is living and working in Hong Kong different or similar um, to living and working in the UK? Living and working in Hong Kong, particularly working with ASL Harris schools, is pretty exciting. Um, they're very they're an innovative bunch, and and as you know, Harris schools pride are uh, pride their their name on excellence, academic rigor, and excellence. So everything I'm doing here personally is a notch higher than what I would have done in the UK. Um, we're constantly pushing boundaries. We're innovating, and because we work as a a, a group of schools, we've got nine schools, a 10th one coming next year, all based in Southeast Asia. Uh, the bigger picture here is really how can what we do benefit all our schools uh, for the greater purpose? And of course, for the students so that they, you know, so that we're um, working to their needs. So we're using the technology, for instance, in a way that would suit their abilities and work with them so that they do better. So in terms of how it's different, um, I think everything here is faster. Uh, you know, we're moving at a supersonic speed. I think in England, we probably take our time, but I would say that we take our time in a sense that we will think about it and come up with um, a very solid plan before we take our steps forward. Here, we're moving a lot faster. So things that I probably would have done there may have taken a year, year and a half, year it's done in three months. So that definitely is, <laughs> is, is, is very noticeable in Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah. And it comes with its pros and cons. But yeah, it's great. I, I think if you're in education and if you like innovation, and which I'm sure you do, um, being in the field you are in, that would be really interesting, you know, to just try and see things if they work or not almost immediately or like you're, like you said, on a faster pace. And so I know you've been here just recently, but uh, have you had online learning uh, during the time you've been here or even before? So we are actually in the thick of it here in Hong Kong. Um, all the schools are online now. Uh, they, they have to be. So this is all the way from early years to primary years and um, even the senior years. Some schools have allowed their children to go back from years 10 to 13. Uh, but other than that, all the school, all the children are home. I had it quite early on with our school in Bangkok as well. They went online, particularly when um, the virus was spreading quite quickly in the community. So in the midst of all of that, really, we were creating structures and plans and policies for schools that needed guidance and a steer and direction of how to um, how to use the best uh, the best methods and approaches for bringing in online learning. So of course, all our schools are now and everywhere I think around the world have got some plan put together of what are the best guidelines, how to mirror our teaching and practices on an, in our own online environment. But I think what we should have learned or what most of us should learn is, 
you know, we can always do something better. Just because we've done it one way doesn't mean it's the best way. So where where are the pain points? What is what have we seen that's really good in some schools that we can take into our other schools? And actually, what are some of the bits that we've seen that we should never do again? Uh, and particularly in terms of that whole synchronous learning, talking to a blank screen, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. We're putting on our screens. We've had these conversations with the parents. We have our policies outside. We're getting the children to blur their backgrounds if necessary. We're getting them to dress appropriately, make sure that we're not eating at our desk. You know, so the, the sort of routines, the structures are all in place. But most importantly, that when we're delivering a lesson, the students also are on the same page with us. You know, if we're, if we're starting off with a structure where we're going to do some bit of retrieval practice, we're going to go over old content, then we're going to introduce new content, then we're going to do get them engaged back in that. That sort of structure, that sort of guideline practices have been put in place. I think our focus now more than ever, my focus particularly, is um, we've really focused on remote learning where we were um, building the learning blocks for our students to ensure that there wasn't so much such a big gap in their learning. But now my focus is remote teaching. I think we have overlooked this area quite a bit and, and fair enough because our teachers had to quickly mirror what they were doing in the classroom. Um, but there is a difference between using the tech in the classroom and using the tech in a remote environment. And so it's remote teaching principles and practices where I'm really focusing and spending a lot more time and I'm trying to understand what it is that's going to work. Yeah, that's so true. I think, you know, just the small things like children not eating while they're um, on Zoom or, or whatever video conferencing tools are being used by the school. That's those kind of things, because the environment needs to reflect the action, whatever the children are doing, even when they are at home, they need to be in the mindset of learning and, you know, the, the way they are at school. So, yeah, that's so important that, you know, even though they're not actually physically going to school, they create an environment where they are more um, ready uh, mentally for it. And the other thing you said, um, you know, all those things that you're working on, not just now that we have been in the in this for years and especially with your experience, I think it's amazing that with all these different schools, like, you can apply what you learn from one school to another school. Like you can, you're like that umbrella body where you're, you're, you're getting the feedback and you are in that, you know, in that amazing space where you're reflecting and you're applying new things. And what you said, um, that makes sense because tried and tested pe pedagogical techniques have their space, have their place in, even though if you're doing things new, we don't have to, radically change things so like activating prior knowledge and personalizing learning like pana said uh you know how they are uh how they're using all the different professionals who work with the children uh to kind of personalize the learning so that makes so much sense and um i i am so glad we are having this conversation and this is really going well we have lots of people here on the uh, live on the show we have uh, Praveen, we have Jess, um, uh, we have, oh, I can't, Hussein, we have Junjun, so hi everyone, thank you so much. We are going to take a break, uh, a quick break to listen to our sponsor messages, the news and the, and some tech tips, and we will be back in conversation with Neelam Parmar and Pana Aswaptana.
This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn. U-P-L-E-A-R-N dot co dot U-K. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Perpetrators are finding new ways to groom and abuse younger children, including through social media and dating apps, according to a report by the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse. The inquiry, chaired by Professor Alexis Jay, concluded that local authorities and police forces are struggling to keep pace with the changing nature of child sexual exploitation. The report warned that there is a false assumption that exploitation by organised networks is on the wane. Professor Jay previously investigated abuse in Rotherham, and said that there may also be a fear that places will be labelled another Rotherham or another Rochdale. The report found that child sexual exploitation has now become a hidden problem, in danger of being underreported. Six areas were focused on as a part of the inquiry. St Helens, Tower Hamlets, Swansea, Durham, Bristol and Warwickshire. They are areas that have not already been subject to investigations into CSE. The report emphasises that too many victims of child sexual exploitation are treated as offenders and states that more effort must be made to prosecute perpetrators effectively. 
The report makes six recommendations, including improving the identification of and the response to child sexual exploitation. Professor Jay said, the sexual exploitation of children by networks is not a rare phenomenon and not confined to a small number of areas, and that all agencies, including education, should be alert to the signs. According to a report in The Guardian, one in eight primary pupils in England had COVID last week. Figures released on Friday by the Office for National Statistics suggest that infections may now have peaked in primary age pupils, but the surge continues to cause disruption to attendance. Prevalence also remains high amongst secondary schools, with an infection rate in England of 1 in 15. The Department for Education has launched its new Education Staff Wellbeing Charter, which applies to staff in England. On the government website are details of the Declaration of Support for and sets of commitments to the well-being and mental health of everyone working in education. All state-funded schools and colleges are invited to sign up to the Charter, and the website has links to a range of resources. An article on the Daily Monitor website discusses fire safety in schools in Uganda following a fire at a school in Kawempe in January. The fire broke out in the girls' dormitories and left four pupils dead and three seriously injured. The Uganda National Fire Protection Association reports that around 5,000 fires occur in institutions of learning each year. Many are now calling for a greater focus on fire safety to prevent loss of life, damage to property and disruption to learning. This should include installing firefighting equipment in schools and clear identification of escape routes, as well as smoke detectors and fire alarms. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we're going to take a look at teaching online. Marmite comes to mind when I think about teaching online. I actually like it, but it's my job and I'm surrounded by gadgets to assist me. A lot of teachers hate it. If you think about it, for 90% of the current population of teachers, delivering a lesson online is something they've not even been trained in. They signed up to be in the classroom with a group of pupils. I'm not going to go into the depths of the delivery platform. That's normally a choice that's already made for you by technology leaders in schools. I'm going to give you a couple of free tools that work in a browser, so don't need installing and can be used for engagements in the classroom and easily adapted to use online. First up, we all love Kahoot. Did you know you can set a Kahoot to be self-paced rather than live? Simply click the assign button and you have an instant self-paced quiz for a homework, a starter or a progress check. If you need to take it online, share the link and off you go. If you use lots of YouTube clips and websites, check out Wakelet. Share collections of links in a meaningful way for free. My favourite use for this is to group my YouTube clips for topics. Not only are they played back with less distractions, but I can share a group of links for revision or to flip a lesson. Again, if I have to teach online, one link can lead to many. Just remember to check your school's policy on using websites such as YouTube for online teaching. If you have access to devices in the classroom, why not try Mentimeter? Create interactive presentations, take votes or build word clouds from participants' answers to improve engagement, assess learning and inspire discussion. Or, if you love whiteboard, Boards, try whiteboard.fi. As a teacher, you can see all your classes' whiteboards and answers, know who's interacting and who's not. You can even show a QR code for ease of joining. I could go on and on. 
The idea is to test these things out when you're with your class and there's no pressure. Then, should you need to teach online, you'll feel more comfortable, there'll be fewer issues, and most importantly, you'll see if pupils are engaging. I hope you consider bringing a bit of tech into your classroom. As always, please test things work in your setting before you use them. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hi, we are back. So you are listening to The Breakfast Show with Jaya Hiranandani, that's me. And we are in conversation with two experts in using technology in classrooms, Pana and Neelam. Um, you can find more information about them in the show notes. Um, but let's, let's continue with the conversation with Pana and Neelam and um, I just want to, this show is about using technology authentically in the classroom. And so I'm going to read uh, the definition of authentic learning by Ed Glossary. And according to the definition, authentic learning refers to a wide variety of educational and instructional techniques focused on connecting what students are taught in school to real world issues, problems, and applications. The basic idea is that students are more likely to be interested in what they are learning, more motivated to learn new concepts and skills, and are better prepared to succeed in college, careers, and adulthood if they are learning if their learning mirrors real life con- context and equips them with practical and useful skills. Um, so. Pana and Neelam, um, let's get started with painting a picture of what the authentic use of tech looks like within the, within the, this context of authentic learning. So one example, when I was thinking about this, that came to my mind from my classroom was, uh, we recently had Steam Week and we used these little robots called Spheros. And uh, of course, the first um, part was to get children uh, using block coding to get them to make it work, to understand directions. But then we took it a bit further, and I thought that was quite an authentic use of um, these robots. We we were also doing our geometry unit then, and uh, the use of these robots involved children. I, I teach third grade. Uh, it involves them um, using angles. And so we then, uh, spheros, you can paint with spheros. So we then um, uh, prepared some displays using the the paint. And so children could draw parallel lines and perpendicular lines. And I thought, uh, you know, that was one of the ways. And I I know that it's not always possible to do that, uh, to use technology in authentic ways. Uh, but let's let's just. Uh, I would love to, you know, for for you to maybe uh, recall some experience or, uh, let you know, just just think about different ways that we could use authentic uh, technology authentically in the classroom, and maybe we could start with first. Uh, if you know, if you could share some experience um, or experiences. Actually, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, so the, I guess. What I want to start with again is just coming back to that relationships piece because in the early years there's there's always this tension regarding um, technology in the classroom, and rightfully so because 
technology, at least the ones that we are introducing into the classroom, things like iPads, they're not designed for young children, right? There are apps that are designed for young children, but the tool itself was was created for adults and um, and older kids, perhaps. But bringing it back to relationships and connections, being able to use that type of tool in a way that is um, authentic to me, really just you have to think back to what does a strong user of tech look like? It's, it's the same thing as saying what's a strong reader look like? What's a strong mathematician look like? And at the end of the day, as educators, what we want are these kids to be able to be thinkers, problem solvers, and creators through these various um, areas, right? And in the same way with tech, we want them to be, you know, to think, to problem solve, and to really use the tech creatively. In the early years, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be as simple as teaching them how to um, empower them to use the camera as a documentation tool to share something they're proud of and build that student agency, their student voice, to understand that tech can be used to communicate, to share, to show their point of view, that they have a point of view, even as a five-year-old, four-year-old, that they can do this. But getting there often requires a lot of scaffolding with the younger ones. And I think that's where a lot of early years educators kind of miss steps without meaning to, really. But because no one's ever really, at least even for me, when I was going through teacher's college, no one taught me how to build these skills and scaffolds in tech use with young kids. In fact, when I started teaching, I was one of the teachers who thought that it was completely inappropriate and we shouldn't be doing it at all. Um, I've clearly changed my mind. But um, yeah, I think it's it's going back to making sure that it's used to connect and build relationships, that the social piece is there, even if you're using it with a peer physically next to you or um, using it to share with families. Just that connection piece, I think, is is really key. Absolutely. And um, really, we we as educators have to remember that what is at the center of our our teaching you know we're not using tech for the sake of it or using these cool gadgets it's it's to drive student learning and um, yeah that's really really important to keep our goal in mind that you really that that really makes a lot of sense and the other thing you said um, I think it connects very well with the book Neelam wrote about and what she was talking about getting parents on board uh, when you have all these you know the what you mentioned tension that comes with young children using technology because these things are not made for them and now um, often we don't have an option uh, we have to make use of them to to make learning happen and so going to Neelam, Neelam what do you think about using technology authentically in the classroom? It's really interesting, it's really interesting. Um, what Pana said as well we're in the midst of reinventing the entire what some people would call the ICT computing curriculum, you know, I've called the digital literacy. Part of the my my series of books that I've written in the past, and um, I think because we've been through the pandemic and our children have got that much more savvy and so much more is available, and everybody's embracing technology and looking to reinvent the ways they're doing things. Part of what I'm doing now is um, reimagining the curriculum in within digital literacy itself. So if you could just, I've, I've written one out for our schools from pre-K to year one. And there really is an 
very much of developing that digital awareness side of things, for particularly for our schools in China. Uh, so some of the things that we would do is, you know, we'd get the children very simple things, like Anna said, you, you build it. Funny enough, I actually think there is a place for tablets in early years. And perhaps this came about more because my PhD was in early years, more than primary. It was looking to encourage the, the, the study and acquisition of phonetics with very young children in two to, between the two to three years of age. But part of what we do with, in, in this curriculum with the early years is to open their mindset. So if I could just look at the computing and the coding side of it, the, the curriculum is broken into several different sectors. Part of that is the computing and the coding. Given that we also have a lot of focus on STEAM and STEM, and we want these skills to grow as children get older, it, yes, it's a little bit early for young children, but it doesn't have to be complicated. So we have brought in things like Lego. Now, every school, I'm, Jewish, I'm sure to some extent, particularly in pre -year, uh, early years and nurseries, have Lego. But we brought in what we call the Lego STEAM kit from um, Lego Education itself. And I wasn't convinced until I had to get trained on it. So I got trained on it with our teachers here. And actually, it's not as easy as we think. It's not as simple as just putting in the blocks and saying, oh, here you go, build a bridge. We actually were looking to build like a circus, an amusement park with very young children. And I have to say, they were way better than me. So I'd look at it and get a little nervous and go, oh, I'm not really sure how to do this because I've not done Lego for so long. But they have. And their creativity came out of it. And while they were doing that, they were learning concepts of algorithms and, and building blocks. And if I do this, then that's going to happen. All these are very strong parameters for the initial stages of computing and programming as they get older. But in a similar context, Lego has something called um, Lego Emotion. And, and I'm not promoting Lego. It's just that that's something we're doing here. And this is a really close um, closing to my heart because Lego Emotion is encouraging children to express how they feel. So again, we're looking at Lego box or blocks, but here you've got faces. You've got a smiley face, you've got a sad face, you've got a cherry face, you've got a happy, anxious, whatever. You've got loads of different feelings in these blocks. And so when we're talking to the children about technology and digital awareness, or we read them a story, Smarty the Penguin, or, you know, there's loads of different stories now, online sort of stories that you get on Vodafone.com. That's another really good one to go to. Um, we get them to express how they feel when they're hearing this. So when your mom tells you, for instance, you've got to get, you've got to get off the iPad now, even though you're in the middle of the game, how do you feel? Or, you know, your time's come up to two and a half minutes. And here we're talking with very young children, reception in year one. Some of them are not able to express themselves, but through Lego blocks, they are. So those are just few examples of some of the things we're doing in the early years with the younger ones, at least. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And, uh, you know, what she said about uh, children being better at Lego, uh, you know, than, than, than maybe you were. Um, and uh, I think it's, they're really just naturally good at open-ended stuff. Not all, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to make a generalization here, but research shows that even with the marshmallow test, kindergartners are way better than CEOs of companies in, in actually getting that marshmallow on this on those little strands of spaghetti. And yeah, and, and we we teachers learn from students as well. Like just recently I was reading a tweet from a secondary teacher and she was like, look at the slides go um, that site. And my students just told me, just showed me how how great the templates are for Google Slides on that. And um, yeah, that's, that's really amazing. And for children to be able to play with Lego, um, it's not the same as having Lego in hand, but if they're not in school, 
that is really great. And if they're learning from it. Um, yeah. Um, so what do you think are challenges? Like, I know you both have mentioned uh, quite a few things, especially, um, especially with younger kids, but whether it's with younger or older um, kids, what do you feel are challenges to using tech authentically? And like Pana said, there can be missteps where we complicate things. Um, so any other things that come to your mind, what could the challenges be? Maybe Neelam, I'll let you take this one for a little of a broader view overall. Okay. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the challenges, if let me start at this, maybe from a remote perspective, you know, we're using the tools um, in our remote teaching method, pedagogical approaches. And I learned this very recently from, um, I think his name is Sam Carey, K-R-Y. Um, and he was basically showing us how we can use the tools. We think we're using the right tools in our teaching, uh, but perhaps we're not applying it in the context we need. So let's say, for instance, I'm looking to encourage the whole communication and collaboration side of things in a classroom. Now, I was a computing, I'm a computing teacher by trade, and I did this with my lessons, my, my classes, year seven, eight, nine. Um, and so maybe I was having a conversation with them in an online environment. I was saying, okay, let's have who can answer this question. And, you know, whoever has it, just shout out the answer. I now know that was probably not, not the most effective way of doing things. But that's perhaps what I would have done in the classroom. So I mirror that. And it may work, but it's not engaging the full class. It's only engaging those selective loud voices or students, confident students to make an to answer. So what can I do as a teacher to ensure that I have fuller participation, better participation in my classroom? Okay, so the next thing I could have done perhaps was put out a form, you know, a survey, survey monkey or Teams form or Google form and get them to answer some questions and then discuss openly. And I guess in that context, I would have mandatory participation. Everybody would do it. Some of them would randomly select some answers and that would defeat its purpose. But I would get them to some extent, take part in an activity so that they're all hands on. But that doesn't mean they're all brains on. That this means they're all hands on. It doesn't even mean that most of them have answered the questions or we've had that transparent of sharing learning experiences or we've discussed as a group. I've still sort of defeated purpose, even though I've used technology in a slightly different way to transform my teaching experience. So I could extend this activity in Padlet or in Nearpod, where it becomes a virtual wall. I put out a question. I get everybody to uh, offer their response in whatever way suits them best. Might be somebody's very happy to put in an answer, verbal. Some someone might want to record the voice. Another one might want to do a quick video capture. Another one might want to put in an emoji. You know, but it, they're all contributing oh, in a way that suits them best. Exactly, so voice and choice. Yeah, right. And so from that point of view, that was the challenge: getting the students to come on board, all actively take part, brains on, and engagement, so that there was just sharing of information. Um, participation in class, and it was all done for good reason and purpose. Yeah, and, and that's bringing to mind, um, I have, when I am face-to-face -face with my students, I have quite a few shy and quiet ones, um, but then we use Flipgrid, 
and you see a completely different side of them. They are like YouTubers. Thank you for listening to my video and that kind of stuff. And it really, yeah, it does mm -hmm. draw out, uh, you know, our quieter students or really does bring a different kind of personality out, you know, when we give them these tools, the ones you mentioned, Padlet as well. Um, you know, a lot of my students who don't write so much in the book might end up typing a lot and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah. Um, so I think uh, actually this is the way technology is kind of helping us meet that challenge by giving student voice and choice. Pana, what challenges have you found in using technology authentically in the classroom? Um, oh goodness, there's quite a few things I could talk about, but I think I'm, I'm still going to go back to what I was talking about before when I said that um, a lot of the tech that we're bringing into the early years classrooms are not necessarily built for young ch kids. And I think that that is a challenge for the teachers because for example, um, we, when we teach reading, like we have books that are written for you know, younger kids and it scales up. We have tools that help us kind of work with the children in our age group and they're built for that. Whereas like you give a child an iPad and it comes with all the bells and whistles. And so kids are curious. They're gonna tap away, they're gonna try things and that's absolutely natural. But how do we as educators understand um, where to scaffold uh, where to teach a skill and when to teach them it's okay to be independent and when is it their responsibility to come to an adult? When should they seek help? And all of these little pieces that um, we have to kind of figure out along the way. And one of the things that I like to, um, that I have asked the teachers that I work with in the past is what are the most annoying things that happen to you when you pull out those iPads with your students? List them out for me because those are the steps that are missing that we haven't taught. So are they constantly clicking on that pop-up that turns off the microphone? And so you have to go into settings and turn the microphone back on for them because they can't record their voice to share their work. Things like that, like what should a child do when they see a pop-up? What should they do when their screen freezes? Um, how do they find the camera? What's the icon and what does that look like? Because guess what, it's universal across apps and to try and teach them skills that will carry over from one platform to the next. Uh, and these things, again, it's, it's class-based, it's kid-based. Some kids will get it, and you might have a group of kids that are fantastic, and they learn it, and they become independent. And there will be that group of kids you get the next year that just constantly are tripping up, and you're constantly having to bring it back and teach into certain skills and certain strategies that they need to become more fluent, more independent, and um, just generally more, uh, I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? More, yeah, it's independent users. Um, and I think the key, I think the key is, is really, really building in the routines from the start. So if you're gonna teach kids how to be responsible, what does that look like when you're using a digital device? Not just what does it look like when you're putting your bag away? Yeah. Yeah. It's like the routines. Yeah. Just like the, the morning routine and then the backup and everything. Yes. That makes total sense. And what I, what I hear from you coming is um, uh, keeping it simple, 
looking at the fundamentals before we jump onto more complicated stuff and just letting the kids um, get familiar with the different platforms. And that's definitely a challenge. I know you've mentioned Seesaw, but are there any other uh, specific apps or programs? Uh, I, I know a lot of um, listeners, uh, they have their own um, bouquet or you know own a list of apps uh, their go-to websites but um, in what has been what has worked really well in your experience in early years um our school is very like based in seesaw for tech use but apart from seesaw i really like book creator because it's very open-ended and um allows for the student the class the teacher to take it in a multitude of directions yeah. Um, yeah, and you can yeah. add Slam with, or what do you call it when you when you combine two apps? So I think Book Creator is connected to Seesaw. You could directly right. yeah. post, you can right? you can share it into Seesaw. You can app smash, right? Yeah, app um, smash. <laughs> you, I like things like um, Chatterpix or Chatterkid, where they take a photo and they just basically yeah. draw a line somewhere and make that photo talk like a mouth. Things that um, build creativity. So, and as open-ended as possible, but you know, there are other things that we can use. Just Padlet is, is so easy to use to, to collect data into one place from, you know, if we're doing some research, you can, you can ask friends and families to, to post photos of, I don't know, you might be studying what's the weather in different parts of the world. Send that link to everybody's grandparents in the class or friends that you might know overseas and they put a picture in and we start studying them just just ways to connect us all as well. And Flipgrid is great for that as well, contributing from, from various places, collaborating with people in different places, different schools, different experts. Oh, that sounds great. It's just uh, involving the broader community and yeah, children seeing their grandparents or you know, friends and family around the world getting involved. Um, Neelam, do you have any more to add to this? Um. I guess I would say that I'm very immersed at the moment within STEAM and STEM, so an innovation. So a lot of my work is revolving around the augment reality, augmented reality side of things, virtual reality, AI. So we've been doing a lot more AR with our primary school children. And you know, really, obviously, there, we know that here in Southeast Asia, AI is leading from the front. Um, so we're not short of technology. We're not short of the new stuff coming on board. But I, as Tana said, you know, sometimes you just get really careful how much you bring in. So a lot of what we're doing is testing at high level before we or piloting it with some of our schools before we actually um, introducing it to the whole group. Um, but simply as using Google AR, which is absolutely free and in a space for children to identify themselves with, you know, animal characteristics or immersive sort of environments, and then writing creative pieces around it or understanding things from a 3D perspective, that's making a big shift in our in our, in our learning applications. Um, with our older ones, we're getting them more on board with AI and really looking to build their relevance, their skill set for, for their world they're living in. I worry about saying this too much because I think there's too much focus on are we preparing them for the for now, are we preparing from now, and then taking away the focus of are we preparing them enough for what, what's coming. So it shouldn't, from my perspective, I'm quite worried that if we just focus on innovation and STEAM and STEM and the natural disasters that we're going through, um, mm. it's all very important, it is. 
but then there's this whole side of education that we've been nurturing for centuries, and we shouldn't lose perspective of that either. But with that in mind, you know, we're looking at things like smart homes and and um, uh, uh, working with the, the computation side of things, the programming. Uh, what else are we doing? Wearable technologies. So we really are trying to push these the boundaries at all times and ensuring that our students have the skills they need. And I think that's the crux of all of it. Do they have the skill set they need now and in their future, which they can nurture and grow as they develop? Yeah, absolutely. And when you said augmented reality, I have just used, um, you know, apart from Google AR, um, like some things as simple as you, you know, the um, just uh, using an iPad for augmented augmented reality uh, um, on a globe. Mm-hmm. And so when we were when we are when we were studying geography, we used this app called Orboot, and the kids were so engaged and they learned so much. Like no amount of me standing in front of the room. I could not have given them the amount of information they just got, and they were choosing which which continent, which country they wanted to explore. They wanted to learn their festivals or animals who live there and that kind of thing. So yeah, that's that's really yeah that really helps um, kids learn faster, better. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really like the idea of I, I've never done that, but but I, I think I'm definitely going to try writing creative pieces after being after using Google AR, where you experience something and then maybe you imagine uh, you know a tiger came to the classroom or something like that. Yes, so definitely. Uh, that's, that's exactly what we did. As you're explaining it, you know, we just yeah. um, I got them to Google some sort of animal on Google AR and the iPads and then you would even hear sound effects so you'd see a lion yeah. roaring or you'd yeah. have a butterfly you know flying across the room and yeah. uh, and then we'd get the children to look at the colors listen to the sound um, look at the texture if I'm not texture so much but look at the shape size okay now write your creative piece around it how do you feel yeah what's your yeah. name like yeah and often we ask children to use sensory language and that sort of thing. But when we actually, when, when, when we trigger that response with an experience like that, they're way more likely to produce a piece um, that makes, you know, that, that they're proud of and that, that helps them forward their, their creative writing skills. So, uh, and there's a question from, um, from Leanne in the audience, and uh, she's asking, do you have a good website or suggestions for safe browsing when using Chromebooks in a primary school? The, the two that I've used in the past, uh, Kids Rex and Kittle, are two that I have used with my younger kids. Um, if you can have access to it, it has more limited, like, um, topics and subject areas, but uh, very useful is Pebble Go, which I believe also works on Chromebooks. And what's nice about it is even with the littles, um, there are videos attached to it. You can get the text to read to you if they're not readers yet. Um, And I don't know, but for me, working with very, very young ones, I do a lot of research through image searching, but of course I want the images to be safe. So I use photos for class because I feel like we can already teach search skills just through image searching and studying photographs and pictures Mm. that come up um, and learning from the pictures. Because we do that in reading, right? Like read the picture. What is it telling you? How do you think the character's feeling? You want to research alligators? Let's type in alligators and look for 
oh, what do you notice about the water, the environment, the habitat? What do you see in their habitat? What do you think they eat? What's in its mouth right now? So they can do research, image-based research from a very young age. And I use photos for class for that one. The great thing about that one is um, once they hit first grade, you can teach them about uh, giving credit because when you download those photos, it immediately attaches credit to the bottom of that picture. So you know where it came from. Um, and so we can talk about how, you know, when we take things off the internet, it's, it's appropriate to give credit to the original um, place that you took it from. So yeah, never too early to teach them about intellectual property and um, rights and that kind of thing. That's, that's brilliant. I just looked it up photos for class and I had never used it. But uh, definitely, it seems very simple. If you go on it, there's a search bar. And uh, like you said, you can download um, but it's automatic citation. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Neelam, I have a question for you about um, um, these learning platforms. So I know we have two or three most used by the schools. There's Microsoft for school, there's Google Workplace, and there's Apple mm -hmm. uh, interface. And so what's your experience with that? And I know, um, Anna, you've, you've, you, you're an Apple expert as well. So Let's, Neela, what, what do you, uh, we'll go with you first. I've used all three. Um, okay. I've used them in many different contexts with many different kinds of schools. At present, we're on uh, Windows Office 365. Most of our schools, some of our schools still have Google, although they will be going through the migration over to Office 365. In my previous schools, actually, just one that came out from was also Office 365. It sort of just knits everything together. It's a um, it's a one stop shop for our schools. It's an ecosystem that our schools have used. It's in line and compatible with all the infrastructure and architecture. So from that point of view, those are tools of trade, and that probably will be the learning management system. Um, I, I would say that it's definitely the management system for the senior years and potentially even into the primary years. But I wouldn't encourage it necessarily for the younger ones. And I, I don't know how Pana feels about this, but we use things like Seesaw. Um, we've got Too Simple for Evidence. And we're also starting to look at something called Learning Ladders, which is has been really helpful in the early years. In the primary years, we tend to generally use... Um, I've used Shobi in the past with the primary years, although I know that there has been some gradual change to Office 365. I would still encourage Shobi or Sparkjar with the younger one before we move to Office 365. And, and that's kind Sorry, of the Could you repeat that, please, uh, Neelam? How do, you, uh, how do you spell that? Show... Shobi, S-H-O-W-B-I-E. I mean, that that's a great, really light management system for primary years. I think um, before it becomes a more formalized Office 365 environment for the older children. Uh, those schools that are purely one-to-one and -one iPads, SparkJar is another really good tool. Very similar to Shobi, but just takes that a little bit further and that's slightly more formalized in context. So though that would kind of be the evolution, you know, from, from Seesaw to Shobi to Office 365 or just Seesaw and then at year five, year six, go straight into Office 365. So in uh, so in your experience, Seesaw can be used until year five, uh, year four kind of age, and then yeah. you can move on to more serious platforms. So you know, um, a few years not ago, more serious. Sorry, um, <laughs> a more academic, yeah. a formal. 
I would say that a few years ago, actually before the pandemic, I would never have pushed Shobi a uh, seesaw past year two. I just found that it was mm. a little bit too light. Mm. But since since the pandemic and after, it has just matured that little bit more. That um, it's it's sufficient for up to year four, and potentially year five if needed. But definitely up to year four, and then a transit yeah. transit. I think Office three six five is a brilliant tool. I'm just not sure how capable our young children are at year five and year six to pick that up. I haven't seen it in practice, so it's hard for me to stand by that statement yet. Yeah, I only have experience in Google Classroom, and that's what we started with when we had uh, online learning first. But I found it really dry. Like you can't add pictures, and you know, you you know, it's uh, you, if you add videos, they're all clickable links, but. Um, but they just don't show up on the screen itself. So mm-hmm. again, a lot of safety issues come up. But uh, with Seesaw, so um, I, I, yeah, that that has been my experience too with my year fours. Um, we were prepared this time if online learning would happen, we were going to use Seesaw and not Google Classroom just yet. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, so hybrid learning i know i mean i've not experienced it but i just found i just find it so daunting if you if i was to do face to face and online um at the same time uh, i'm i'm wondering if either of you have any opinions or experience what do you think about that and i'm not sure if anybody in the audience right now in live or anybody listening later um if they are in that situation maybe it would be worthwhile to talk about that a little bit. I haven't had to experience it, uh, but I have had to run hybrid PD for teachers Mm. because getting the new faculty in at the beginning of the year, some were in quarantine, some were still stuck abroad. Um, So just that orientation and um, that, that, just that process itself was mind boggling. And this was with a group of adults who like could troubleshoot themselves and, you know, understood what was going on and was patient. So I can't imagine how much more difficult it would be with a group of children, especially early years children. Um, I imagine it is double the planning. And I think that I give huge kudos to any early years teacher who has done it or is going through it right now because it it's immensely more work it's it's planning twice for everything um and i think that if in any way you can use the tech to kind of bring those outside of the classroom into the classroom that using that connection to kind of synchronize everything could be a way to kind of lessen that stress in some parts of your teaching. I, yeah, I can only imagine it's it's really really tough. Yeah, I definitely. I think having the video conferencing on at you know at most times um, throughout the day would be important. Yeah, but I can just yeah, I I, I, I it's so hard to imagine for me. So we're in the thick of it, uh, waiting hybrid mm. all the time. And okay. um, in fact, before I even came to Hong Kong, I remember setting up an entire hybrid environment for our teachers back in England. And 
it is so tricky. I was in it as well. It's so difficult to give 100% attention to the children outside of the classroom and then get the same in the classroom. You forget one or the other. Um, but I think there is definitely a way around this. It's just our tools of trade, trying to doing it with a laptop. And it's, it's not sufficient. It's not polished enough, but it's possible. So you can potentially sit at your desk and have your computer in front of you and teach. And this is perfectly fine for the older children, maybe not so applicable for the primary and the younger ones, but teach the children um, in, the, in the classroom, the ones in the class, and then ones off through your whole um, ecosystem. But it's not user-friendly. So th there is a way around it. It's just a very costly method. And unless you actually have all the appropriate technology in place, it doesn't become effective enough, I don't think. But we're still doing it. Yeah, I think um, this pandemic is driving us to do things which are not ideal, but well, we want our kids to be learning and, you know, yeah. Um, so we are going to um, break for a little message or a few messages from our sponsors. But when we come back, we are going to discuss what the future of uh, technology and education will look like. So stay tuned, two minutes of messages and we will be back. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn. U-P-L-E-A-R-N dot co dot U-K. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. 
We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Welcome back. We have been fortunate enough to have two amazing experts and uh, we have talked about technology and using it authentically in the classroom. We all have been through a critical global incident of the pandemic changing education and forcing us to teach in ways that we were never prepared for. It has felt chaotic and turbulent, but um, but we are kind of hopefully at the tail end of the pandemic and we are learning so much and it's so great to uh, reflect on what we have learned. And now we are moving on to what the future might look like. So I recently shared on Twitter an article that I read from Justin Reach, and he is an MIT um, professor or an expert, and he talks about um, how uh, we have used technology to replicate traditional school routines, and um, uh, are we uh, are we going to uh, use? So we've used uh, like learning management systems like Seesaw and Google Classroom and Canvas school, 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 I can't say that, Schoology, I, th I thought it's pronounced in a different way, but uh, yeah, one of those. And uh, also we've talked about um, the Apple system and Office 365, you have all those tools, but they're all learning management systems to pass documents like worksheets and uh, host discussion forums and create portfolios, uh, um, great quizzes, post and great quizzes. So it's a lot like replicating school. We are doing video conferencing, which is more like the teacher in front of the classroom. And uh, so it's it's all great. And it, is, it has been very, very useful. But uh, is the future going to be a little bit different? Are we going to make some incremental steps to make changes in pedagogy itself, in how we teach and what we teach and um, is the curriculum going to change uh, with technology? And I know there were teachers before who were resisting uh, adding technology in the classrooms, but it's not much of a choice anymore. So what is that future going to look like? Um, uh, Pana and uh, Neelam, what do you think where we are headed? It's exactly, it's what, exactly you said. what you said. It's not really a choice anymore. And I think the pandemic has made that abundantly clear because, I mean, lesson number one came right at the start where teachers and students alike were grappling to get on this, uh, the various platforms of technology and doing it pretty badly. I mean, I think we all remember the initial Zoom bombings that were happening across the world. Did we not? And yeah. hey, what does that mean? We're not teaching digital citizenship right. We're teaching it at a very surface level, but we're, the kids are on technology. Yes, as young as four, three, two, and we're not teaching it at all. So what does that look like from the very beginning? And it could just be, how do you take care of your device physically? It doesn't have to be too abstract. A lot of the, um, the fear I think facing teachers, especially those of early years, um, 
diving into the technology is that it's too abstract and it's too hard to try and teach them. It's not when you scale it back to what you know. We teach them to be safe, responsible, respectful. Just build in the piece. What does that look like when you're holding a, a device, a digital device? What does respect look like? It means you use only your hands and not any other part of your body. You don't touch somebody else's device. You touch your own. It can be very simple, but these skills need to be embedded daily in routine and taught to the kids, to the families, and just kind of working together as a team to understand that we're all on the same page here. And then, of course, you build up from there into the, the deeper level skills of, okay, when you see yourself on a camera, I mean, other people are watching. So what do you want them to think about you? Right? And it's the same as going out into the world. How do we behave outside in the world represents who we are. How we behave on a screen represents who we are as well. And um, just making those connections regularly, really, I think, um, I'm hoping will be more embedded and naturally built into the day-to-day -day things that we do in school uh, from the very start. I think that the other thing, actually, Neela mentioned this quite a bit, the AR and VR is, is really coming back. There was a wave when it first came out, and then it kind of lost momentum. And I think we're, we're circling back now with the AR and VR bringing, um, bringing the world to us. Because especially, again, early years, it's all about um, things that they can see and understand and like um, experience. And there are so many things out in the world that we can't bring into the classroom physically. But AR can bring it in, in, in some form that involves more of the senses than it would a picture or, a, you know, just a, or just in reading about it in a book. It, that gives us a certain level, but I mean, the sounds, the shapes, you know, the movement. And so I think that that experience is coming um, soon into education as a real way to connect us with the broader world. Absolutely. And it takes us into what we are looking for, going beyond, um, you know, what we've been doing in traditional classrooms. So it's not just fulfilling that need we have, um, that, that gap we have now because people are not traveling that much or they can't. So you bring those things, you bring museums in your classroom, you bring animals who are going extinct in your classroom. But it's also, yeah, um, just adding more, getting deeper into understanding things. Absolutely. Uh, Neelam, would you, do you have something to add? I think that technology is going to um, really change the way we're doing things. So we, I think there's, uh, we're in a position like Pana uh, said two years ago, where the pandemic brought a lot of things to the forefront. And those schools that had invested heavily in technology and had prepared the teachers to use the tech in the classroom more than outside of the classroom, were in a really good position to go within 24 hours online when needed. And those are the schools I was mainly supporting. I was supporting those schools that had had tech, teachers knew how to use it. We had done drills and, and, and a few days of how to do things online. And so it was all very smooth sailing. But now many schools have caught up with that, right? And, and, and if they're not caught up, that's where they are at the moment. They're trying to play catch up. And that's fine, they're gonna get there. They will definitely get there. I think looking forward, so once you've got to this place where you're able to use technology in the classroom, in a remote learning environment, you've understand the tools at your fingertips, you know pedagogically how to apply it in context, you've become a better teacher online. 
then what? Then what happens? And I think that's the space I'm in at the moment. How can we use the technology to bridge uh, our learning gap? So from my point of view, from a group of schools point of view, how can we use the technology to support each other? Uh, what about the students who perhaps need to travel but cannot because of lockdowns or quarantines? How can we support them in their learning? Are we looking at a hybrid curriculum rather than a hybrid teaching? Are we looking at hybrid curriculums? Are we going to be looking at um, online and on-site at the same time? So we're looking at new model learning, new mobile learning approaches rather than the more traditional aspects each time. And I think it's very difficult when you're a teacher on the ground or in the classroom to look beyond that because you've got to be there for the children. You've got to be able to teach them. That's our job. That's what we do. But I suppose because I've got one step, I've got one foot out now and I'm looking inwards. And I'm always, I've always embraced technology um, to some extent. Okay, so now what can we do? How can we use this to transform our learning experiences? One, but to extend teaching and learning to to places that we can't get to and, and to provide that continuity of learning for our students who are not able to come into classes, for instance, but yet at the same time, take care of their well-being, their social interactions. So what can we do with the tech to push the boundaries? Yeah, uh, so much to take away from this discussion. Um, I mean, you know, having transformed learning, but maintaining well-being and social interactions. I think that's one of the key things that we've talked about. Um, and, uh, you know, both of you kind of hinted of uh, changes in curriculum, so a hybrid curriculum, not just hybrid learning. Um, so those kind of things, like Pana mentioned, embedding tech usage skills into the curriculum, so and literally explicitly teaching children of all ages, you know, that comes with the safety. And we do do that already, digital uh, safety and, um, you know, uh, citizenship, digital citizenship. We do do that, but I think it's really more into focus right now. And it needs to be inbuilt into the curriculum, not just an extra that we add as uh, in, our, in our SEL curriculum, but really, really inbuilt into um, the curriculum that's prescribed by... Um, our governments and our policymakers. We do have a call in from Jess. Um, Jess, are you there? Hi, Jaya, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Yeah. I think Hello. Nice to have you, Jess. Nice to chat. Um, I want to say, Pana and Neelam, this has been an incredibly informative show. I've really, really like hung on everything you both have said. So thank you so much. Um, yeah, I've taken a lot of things away, but I really wanted two questions, really. Sorry, I can just think of one. I've got <laughs> two. Um, the first one, for um, COVID-style situations where we're not in school and it's online, what would your recommendations be for children in, say, pre-K um, online, um, as in using a laptop? Um, is that something that I think is quite controversial? And different schools ask for different amounts of actually on online screen time. And my second question would be, like, I, I love the strategies, Pana, you especially have said about using um, in the classroom, such as um, AR and the photos, because I do that kind of thing all the time. Um, and my kids love iPads. So, like, re re responding to how they feel about iPads, I often try to incorporate them in a lesson as a tool. 
So I really want to know, is there any resource that I could go to as an educator to find out um, really authentic ways to use an iPad in the classroom as a tool for young children? Those two things would be excellent if you have answers for those. Oh, goodness. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, places to go online to use tech authentically as a tool. Honestly, I don't have like the one website that I go to or I think it really is my Twitter network that kind of inspires me from day to day. And I know that's not really the answer you were hoping for. <laughs> but um, it. I think that when you have the right hashtags, for example, with, you know, tech and literacy, for example, or like how to use tech with your math teaching. Um, it, it kind of just gives you a stream of ideas. They're like, oh yeah, I could, I could try that. And I know you're already pretty active on Twitter and you might have your networks already. Um, what was the first question again? It was, um, Oh gosh, I've lost it. I think it was about remote learning. Think, and, and... Oh. Yeah, so I think it was, it was about be, uh, using laptops with little children, wasn't it, Jess? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Like, um, how long in the total of a day would you say is appropriate for, say, four or five year olds to be on a screen during yeah. online learning? Um, and so that's a tough one because. The screen has now become the medium of delivery, even if it's live, right? So it's, it's really tough. You, I have to go back to, and I'm sure you've heard this, that not all screen time is created equal. So if you are sending that four or five-year-old off to do a math game on the screen, I wouldn't send them to do that for more than, I don't know, five 10 minutes max, but that's already a pretty long time. But if you're sitting there having a conversation with them about a physical book that's in front of them, that's very different. Um, so it really depends on what you're doing because with you live in some form or another person there, the social aspect becomes a part of that. And unfortunately, we can't do that in person. So this is the only way to build that kind of connection and relationship and discussion and kind of push the child to think further about their learning. So I think it really is a matter of what is it you're asking them to do. I don't think kids as young as that should be on any tech alone at all. Um, and I know it's not always possible for the parent or the caregiver to be sitting right next to them but I think they should be in a space where the parent or caregiver can hear exactly what's going on at all times, um, not behind a closed door. And um, so that should they need help or any troubleshooting, you're not trying to guide them through the screen because sometimes that's difficult in itself. Like, look for that button that looks like a microphone. You know, like, it's so hard. So um, I think, yeah, you have to really assess what type of things you're doing on the screen before you can kind of think about the amount of time. Again, if it's something that's more practice-based, like we want you to practice this skill on this app, limit that as much as you can. But if it's interactive um, with a human, then that can go on for a little longer, like up to 20 minutes if the child is engaged. But 
ideally with an adult or caregiver with them. Fantastic. Thank you, Pana. Thank you, Neelam. Thank you, Jess, for dropping in. This has been an amazingly engaging discussion. I know I'm going to go back and listen to it um, later again because there's so many things that, you know, I have been taking notes, but I've learned so much. Um, and if you're listening, whether you're listening live or you're listening to the recording, do get in touch with me. If you have any comments, any feedback, um, um, my Twitter handle is Miss Hiranandani. And if you have any questions or any feedback for our guests today, uh, you can find them on Twitter as um, Neelam, Neelam Parmar1 and Pana Aswavatana, just that her name. Um, so get in touch with us. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you learned something from it. And until next time, stay tuned for other shows today and i'll see you next to next or you'll hear from me you'll not see me probably definitely um next to next sunday um i'm here every alternate sunday 9 a.m uh breakfast time so a big thank you again to uh to neelam and pana um if you have any parting words please go ahead and then we will close the show Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Jay. It was great. Yeah. All right. Here goes our closing jingle. When I can find it. <laughs> there we go. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.